I hear that Gen Z is going to be the destruction of the United States of America, that we are the end of all that we know to be good and true and holy, and Gen Z is ruining everything right in front of us, which just objectively is not true. Welcome to the Edify podcast, where our guests share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Mary Fiorito. Thank you for joining us today. Isabel, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to our conversation. So you're a member of Gen Gen Z, which I am absolutely not. Um, And so explain (laughs) this to me. What are you most worried about regarding the future of America? I get asked this question quite often, and I think it's also important to just provide some parameters on who Gen Z is, because it's a very nebulous term that a lot of people seem to be confused by. I am the first year of Generation Z. I was born in 1997, and I just turned 26, and it goes all the way down to about 2010, so today's 12 to 13-year-olds. So what we're talking about when we discuss Gen Z is a massive range of about 70 million people in their early preteen years, about to experience all of the turbulence of adolescence all the way through people getting ready to get married or young parents like myself. Um, And so when we're talking about this generation and the hurdles that we're facing, I think for most of us, the biggest fear is this continued confusion and upside down nature of the culture that we live in today. There is no such thing as objective truth. There is no such thing as objective morality. Heck, you can't even define what a woman is, which is the easiest, most objective biological question of all time throughout all of human history. So as we continue to change the definitions of everything right in front of us, it gets harder and harder to solve so many of the big cultural issues that we're facing. Right. But Gen Z is not a monolith, right? So we know about the trends of some of the woke Gen Z. What kind of trends surprise you among the conservative Gen Z? I could not tell you how shocking most people find this information that I'm about to give you because every single day, it seems, on Instagram comments or messages that I get on Facebook or YouTube or while speaking to large crowds, I hear that Gen Z is going to be the destruction of the United States of America, that we are the end of all that we know to be good and true and holy, and Gen Z is ruining everything right in front of us, which just objectively is not true. I think we look at youth today and youth culture today and assume that everyone is buying into this radical gender theory, is believing things like the 1619 Project because we're taught them in schools or are taking to the streets in these mostly peaceful protests Mm -hmm. to burn everything down. But in truth, Gen Z is actually trending more conservative over time when you look at an issue-by-issue basis. Uh, The last several elections, Gen Z has voted more Republican from 2018 to 2020 to 2022. Uh, We're returning to extreme tradition in the church. Gen Z is the most likely generation to value the Latin mass and want tradition in their religious journey and experience. Uh, And mostly we're just favoring a return to something familiar and normal. When everything is confusing confusing and everything is nebulous and we've really changed definitions of virtually every single thing that we've known to be true throughout all of human history, you have this void seeking truth that is driving the countercultural rebellion of my generation. Well, the Latin mass piece of this in particular is fascinating because obviously none of them would have attended Latin mass as a regular parish Mm -hmm. experience, and most of their parents um, would not have either, and perhaps some of their grandparents wouldn't have even known this as the norm in terms of Catholic worship. Why do you think 
uh, Gen Z is so attracted to the Latin mass? I think it really boils down to tradition. And it's the same thing you're seeing with the political side of where Gen Z is trending. We want that American conservative traditional aspect to how we live our cultural secular lives. But when we look at how Christianity at large, regardless of denomination, is presented to Gen Z, everything has been watered down to be this beige, feel-good, almost half-in, half-out cultural Christianity, that you'll always have a seat in the front pew every Sunday. You'll always have this community rallying around you. And church looks a lot more like a rock concert than it does an actual religious experience with fog machines and multicolored lights and a drummer in a cage and free coffee in the lobby, which was nice for a while. And I think the American Christian community tailored more towards cultural trends rather than tradition of the church, regardless of denomination, to try to appeal to more people. But when everything is anti-traditional and when everything is confusing and lack of that objective truth, the things that we believe in, tradition seems extremely appealing. If you look at any generation throughout human history, right. what does every teenager really want to do? Rebel against their parents and their grandparents, right? Be different than the establishment. Well, is that what's driving it then? And is, I think that is, is what's driving it. So we, it's not, there's nothing kind of innate within, say, a Latin mass itself that would draw them, you know, the true, well, the, the Latin the mass but. is ultimately the most traditional version of the mass that we could seek today, right? right? I mean, Latin in and of itself is the most traditional way that we could communicate as the body of Christ throughout the world. So seeking that return to our roots, I think is what's driving so much of not just a return to the Latin mass, but Catholicism as a whole. I'm seeing a revival within Gen Z, even many of my Protestant friends seeking answers to the big questions. Well, what about Mary? What about the saints? What about confession or the Eucharist? Mm -hmm. I used to be told all of these things were terrible, but once I start even just asking the questions, there's some truth there that I can't deny. How can I dive into that further? Well, one of the things that's coming up now that we're looking at the 2024 presidential candidates is raising the voting age from 18 to 25. What are your thoughts on that? I think that this proposition is an interesting one to start with. It's the opposite of what we often hear from the progressive radical left, that we right. should lower the voting age to 16. Uh, regardless of what we do with the voting age, there seems to be a question in American culture about what constitutes adulthood. We have a different answer for when you can drink alcohol or when you can smoke right. cigarettes or enlist in the military or buy a gun or own property. But we also know from science, from brain science now, that the adult human brain does not fully mature until you're 25. Mm -hmm. And even within and, you know, say the church and the annulment trials, uh, they're looking at people who marry as young teenagers because you don't have, you're not the same person, which is why, of course, your driver's license, or sorry, your driver's insurance mm -hmm. is far more expensive when you um, are younger than 25 as it is when you're 25 or older. I was actually pre-med in college. I studied biomedical sciences and did a whole semester in neuroanatomy. So the neuroscience behind all of this is fascinating to me. But if we look at the trajectory of young people and the impact that young people can have throughout history in a culture where those older than them are perpetuating continuous lies, continuous oppression against objective truth uh, and totalitarianism, it's consistently been young people mm -hmm. who've had to pick up the torch and fight back against that totalitarian authoritarianism throughout history. Uh, America itself, for example, has relied on young people even before we were a country to bring this crazy experiment called the United States of America forward. In mm -hmm. 1776, you ask the average teenager today what the founding fathers looked like, and the answer is always old, wrinkly white men, right? And, and with this negative connotation yeah. because of and the They weren't all books. that old. No, they, they were weren't. in their 30s and 40s. I think so we get that image that from our old. history books, yeah. but they were actually 18, 20, yes. 21. Alexander Hamilton was 20 
21 years old on July 4th, 1776. Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, was only 33 on July 4th, 1776. Mary was a teenager when asked to carry the Messiah into the world. David defeated Goliath as a young preteen, early teenager. So we see this pattern throughout history where God is raising up young people. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing today with Generation Z. People are counting us out, saying that we are causing a lot of these problems in society, but ultimately it's going to fall on us, soon to be the largest voter block in American history, to right the ship. And I think raising the voting age to 25 would be a pretty damaging way to isolate and alienate those people when we should be encouraging us. Okay, well then what is the role of the government in winning the culture war? Does it have a role? the government in winning the culture war. I think the government has done a fantastic job in destroying American culture in the past several decades from a subjective opinion standpoint myself. Uh, but truthfully, as a conservative, I think we have to ask ourselves today what that means. When we look at conservative policies, the conservative movement, or even the Republican Party, which has tended to be the more conservative of the two options, truthfully, in 2023, going into 2024, I don't believe we have an end goal. I don't think we have a path in front of us where we can say, we made it, we won this culture war that we right. say we fought today, because right, right, everyone right. has different priorities. Uh, really, where it starts in changing culture, far before we ever hit a government solution, is in changing things like dating norms and relationships and pushing for marriage and family, which are being so attacked today, in preserving the environment, which we believe as Christians, regardless of denomination, is a role that we have because God entrusted this beautiful space to us, mm -hmm. not particularly a partisan political issue for Generation Z, in discussing our education, the entertainment industry, what media we consume through our phones. These are all interesting conversations that ultimately impact our opinions in government and everything else later on down the line uh, that are always upstream from politics in America. Okay, well, I'm I want to talk to you a little bit too about the cancel culture. So if conservatives are against, you know, this cancel culture, do you think it's hypocritical to boycott companies or is it a necessary form of, you know, merely voting with your dollars? So example, Target and Bud Light and the Los Angeles Dodgers, et cetera. Such an important question and one far too few conservatives are asking, in my opinion. Uh, we, we see this conversation of is it cancel culture? Is boycotting the same thing with Target, with Bud Light, with Nike? A lot of these conversations that we've been having in the last several years and it's been extremely effective. I mean, Target lost, what, $15 billion right. in market value in a week because- Well, and that kind of, you, know, you go all the way back to Rosa Parks, right? And the bus and the bus mm -hmm. strike and people walking instead mm -hmm. of taking the bus to, you know, in the pro-life movement. Um, there was, for a long time, a corporate boycott of companies who donated um to Planned Parenthood. Absolutely, yeah, it's so, not a new conversation. I don't think no. boycotting uh, is a new conversation from any side of the political spectrum. Where I see a difference in choosing to buy from a different company uh, through potentially a boycott, but more importantly, choosing somewhere else that you do feel good about supporting and moving right. your dollar that way, voting with your dollar, and cancel culture, is that conservatives are really doing this hard, heavy work behind the scenes of building another option. You start to see another option provided than YouTube through Rumble. We have different options from Amazon with Public Square, which right. just became a publicly traded company and has a million users and over 50,000 small businesses across America, soon to be international, uh, that's doing the same work that an Amazon is doing with pro-family, pro-faith, pro-America small businesses across the country. Right. I don't see that from advocates of cancel culture. Where cancel culture comes in is wanting the ultimate destruction of you, everything you own, everything you are, and everything you stand for with no alternative put in place. Uh, so I personally am really one for suggesting people go find another option that they feel great about supporting, that they right. know shares their values, far more than ever calling for the same cancel culture from the left. 
And I think, too, a truly talented person or whatever is often able to sort of rise above the cancellation. I mean, you look at Brendan Eich, you know, who founded Mozilla and mm -hmm. got kicked out of his own company yep. for giving a $1,500 donation to the National Organization for Marriage. But now he has this, this new search engine, Brave, that a lot of people are going through. They're saying, you know, it's just as good as Google and yep. it's better than DuckDuckGo. So, um, you know, he, he managed to, uh, again, rise but, but above his circumstances, but it took a long time. I mean, even look at Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling yes, being vehemently right. canceled all yeah. over the internet just for saying biological women and trans women are different. That's right. it. Uh, and talk about somebody rising above her circumstances. There's a new Harry Potter TV show in production. The video game broke all kinds of records in terms of sales and downloads its first week, and there's nobody stopping their trips to Universal anytime soon. No, she's so. been really tenacious. She, she, has. she has not. She's dug in her heels, and she's not She's not going to bow to the mob, and I have to, you know, hand it to her. I don't agree with her on everything. But Absolutely, I was very grateful to see that. But you know, well, given this kind of success rate that these social justice warriors have in canceling people, um, would you recommend that conservatives maybe give them a little taste of their own medicine and and adopt similar tactics, like, you know, boycotts and hyper intolerance, that sort of thing? Does that ever work? I think some people would argue that it does. In my opinion, no. I don't I don't think this taste of your own medicine and if you can't beat them, join them concept really right. does work. Ultimately, where conservatives have an opportunity right now, not just with Generation Z, but with every generation moving into this next very polarizing election and right. our culture moving forward, is to be the better alternative, right? Rather than stoop down to the same level and play the same games, there's an opportunity to appeal to a massive group of people in classical liberals, for example, mm -hmm. who feel left behind by today's Democrat Party and the totalitarian extreme leftism that's destroying our culture every single day. In the parents who may not have been very involved in politics before, but all of a sudden see their children facing gender theory and critical race theory in their classroom every day, and so many other examples. Where we have to make that switch is not by playing the same game of attacking the left, but making this fight so much bigger than just politics. Right. And I think people need to realize this impact impacts our marriages, this impacts our families, this impacts our children, this impacts our entertainment, our faith. And when we let things go too far, we see what we've seen for the last several years. I, for one, don't feel comfortable seeing where three years from now might look if we don't choose to stand up and make this about culture rather than politics today. Well, should there be any limits to free speech? I mean, other than what the Supreme Court said, which is not yelling fire in a crowded theater. Um, beyond that, obviously, free speech is a time-honored tradition protected legally in the United States, and infringements by the government on our speech are not permitted. Um, what, where would you put, put those markers? Yeah. Um, I think it's important, as you mentioned, to note that in America today, we don't have universally free right. speech. Absolutely There's some things free you can't speech, say. Right? There right. is such yeah. thing as hate speech, and that specifically involves in threatening someone based on a protected class. Uh, and I think we forget that so often when we talk about making hate speech illegal. Right. Ultimately, though, if you look at the most polarizing political and cultural issues of our day, free speech works. And I believe the solution to what today's uh, free speech infringement advocates would call hate speech is just just more speech, defeating bad ideas with really good ideas. The Los Angeles Dodgers chose to honor an extremely controversial group in the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, a drag queen group that dresses up like nuns and performs stages of the crucifixion uh, at protests and at public gatherings in California, honored as... Desecrated the Eucharist. Correct, and yeah. I mean, several other examples. Went to honored as this wonderful, progressive... You know. <laughs> 
heralded group. Right. There was almost virtually no one in the stadium at that game to watch this group being honored by the Major League Baseball team. And instead, you saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people rallying outside to speak the truth of the gospel and encourage people to use their free speech rights to tell the truth. Uh, so ultimately, that's a prime example of defeating those bad ideas with good ideas. It doesn't right. come from censorship, which allows those ideas to fester and grow in the darkness, but it brings them out into the light and counters them with truth. Right. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the remedy is more speech, not less speech, but obviously you can't incite violence. Mm -hmm. You know, um, to go back to the classical example, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. There are limits mm -hmm. on your on your speech. But um, well, do you think conservatives do you, and, and even Catholic conservatives in particular, do you think we're hyper focused on marriage redefinition and same sex marriage and forget about other threats to the family, such as divorce, which we know, I mean, that's just, you know, um, empirically not even arguable at this point, the impact of divorce on a family and even contraception. Yeah. Ultimately, I think Catholic conservative families have been truly blind to the cultural attack on marriage and the family for the last several decades across the board. I don't right. even think we've been hyper-focused on a single issue, but we've been content in saying, eh, that won't be a problem for me. If we ignore it, that'll just go away, right. and have woken up today asking, how on earth did we get here? The average young person in my generation today isn't even dating for fun or seriously looking towards marriage. Well, why is that, do you think? Because we look around at the rates of heartbreak, of divorce, of depression, of suicidation, and see so many of today's issues coming from dating multiple people all at once in polyamory, for example, which is completely normal today, or extreme hookup culture driven by dating apps, which aren't interested in helping you find a marriage partner, but right. want to keep you as a customer to sell advertisements to. Contraception, the abortion industry, there are countless examples. Pornography. Pornography is huge. huge. The average yeah. age of exposure for pornography for a young man today is 12 years old, and the average teenager is watching pornography regularly regularly several times a month, which parents just aren't even aware of. When we think about all of those factors working together, it's not just a divorce problem. It's not just a redefinition of marriage problem. It's a heart and a head problem today. We are quite literally rewiring the neurons in the next generation's brain in terms of how intimacy works, who we should be attracted to. Uh, the birth control pill, which is extremely normal and most women in my generation are taking for things like acne or really bad period cramps. Which then, it doesn't, that's just which masking it the symptom. It is masking the symptom. Symptoms, makes us attracted to more feminine men that we wake up and realize we're not attracted to once we're married to them. So ultimately, there has been this systemic attack on all fronts in every direction toward marriage and the family. And I believe that the reason for that is because without the family, which is the strongest unit that God has provided to us throughout all of history, dating back to Adam and Eve, it is so much easier to control and manipulate people. We've seen that throughout 2020 and how the world completely redefined itself to the new normal. But I think we see that even today with teachers pushing extreme radical gender theory on children, uh, with kids being taught completely made up lies about the origins of the universe or uh, down to what a pronoun might be in their school classrooms every day, in the entertainment industry, even in the church itself. I mean, you saw a mega church in Nashville a few months ago tell people that the Bible was not the word of God on their social media account. Yeah. If you don't have parents to write the ship and correct that and tell you the truth, uh, it's really difficult to make sure you can filter between those lies and the And truth. move you to another church on top of it. If mm -hmm. that's what your church is teaching, then that's not a place you want to be if you or a follower of Christ, but well, you know, there's a there's a really funny um, comedian uh, Taylor Tomlinson. I'm not sure if you follow her, but she's she is not Catholic. I think she was raised 
a, a Baptist, I think, but very secular now mm -hmm. and talks about living with her boyfriend. But she has one of her riffs um, that has gotten a lot of uh, hits on YouTube is one about contraception and going off the pill and talks about how with the audience, how the p people, the men they were with when they were on the pill, they're no longer attracted to, as mm -hmm. you alluded to, after they go off the pill. So it was really interesting for me just to, to read the comments on YouTube, and they go on and on about people saying, women saying, you know, I, I got off it, I was a totally different person, yep. I hated the guy I was with, I'm with somebody who's much better now and we're much more compatible, and not, not religion mentioned anywhere. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of this, you know, natural uprising against this is bad for us. This is putting a synthetic hormone into our bodies and into the environment. Do you think, given the way I think young women are being sensitized now and receiving new information about what hormonal contraception does to your relationships and to your, and to your physical health, do you ever think we're going to see the same sort of truth be spoken um, on abortion? Absolutely, and I see it every single day. Do you? Where? I had a really similar experience with the birth control conversation a few months ago. I was in Santa Barbara, California, recording something called the Whatever Podcast, which okay. is an extremely viral, very raunchy dating podcast on TikTok and on YouTube that's seen by millions and millions of people every day. And I was a bit of an outlier in terms of the political right. and religious ad attitudes around the table. But I looked around, and there was a girl who was an OnlyFans creator, which is essentially digital pornography, a girl who shot pornography, a recovering sex addict, and every single one of these girls around the table all agreed. We all quit our birth control. It made us miserable. It completely turned us into different people. Mm -hmm. And if I can change my mind about that, where else might I be able to change my mind on dating and on abortion and this conversation of women and feminism at large, which was fascinating because I went in with my guard up kind of ready to fight with these women, but instead just saw so many broken hearts around the table with people realizing we need more. We deserve more as a generation. I joined the incredible Kristen Hawk founder of Students for Life on her speaking tour this spring across the country uh, and found myself right in the heat of it all on the yeah. conversation of abortion, including being attacked by Antifa at Were Virginia you at Commonwealth. That presentation? I was, yeah. I yeah. Saw some People of that. trying to hit us with megaphones. No. One 19-year-old student was unfortunately assaulted and yeah. she is okay now, thank goodness. Um, but there seems to be not just this extreme intolerance towards even discussing abortion from the very radical left, but even more so importantly, a curiosity from the average person who would consider themselves to be pro-choice but has no idea what the procedure of abortion actually looks like, mm -hmm. uh, has known a friend who's gone through the process, maybe considering it themselves, but wants to know that truth, which is applicable to everything across the board for Gen Z right now. When we're right. fed this propaganda all the time, there's a natural innate curiosity in us that wants to know more. So we got questions from all kinds of people, from socialists and non-binary identifying people to transgender right. people. Everybody was very, very fascinated to just learn what even is this thing that everybody's so up in arms and fighting about all the time. I feel like I know it should be wrong, but I don't know why I know it should be wrong. Can you explain this to me? Can you walk me through this? Well, what resonates just have a conversation? Is, it, is it kind of radical inclusivity? Does that, does that resonate? Is it is it the science now? Is it the ultrasound? Well, the science is, is completely impossible to ignore. Not yeah. only do we have but ultrasounds, yet they but manage. 3D, so. 3D MRI <laughs> videos, right? I mean, we can right. watch a 40. child. 40, now 40. Even. Yeah, you yeah. can experience your baby in the womb. Uh, there's an entire new emerging field of surgery that when I was pre-med, I was very interested in pursuing, right. where we're operating on babies in utero to repair weeks. heart defects and right. then sewing them back up and they're carried and, to full term, which yeah, is incredible. And, and spina bifida. Absolutely. And other, um, there was a brain surgery that was successful and it's, it's it's becoming earlier and earlier. You know, I think uh, the Cleveland Clinic still has the record for the youngest, yep. which is 16 weeks. 
and there's a separate anesthesia team for the baby. I always find that very fascinating. You know, there's mm -hmm. two anesthesia teams. The other team is not there for the mom. They're Absolutely. there for the baby. They're there to protect that but, life well, and then, have a fighting what, chance. What clicks with people yeah. in, your, in Gen Z then on this? There's a fascinating experiment I've been trying across the board on every issue, not just abortion, but I'm finding it's very effective in talking about this extremely polarizing and often misleading issue, right? We have a lot of propaganda out there about what abortion is. We call it women's health care or women's rights or life-saving, affirming care yes. uh, for these desperate women who are in a horrible situation and they will literally die if we don't help them right now. We're able to convince an entire generation of that because of the power of groups like Planned Parenthood uh, and many of our loudest politicians in Washington, D.C. But where I think the conservative political space has done a really good job over the last decade with this facts don't care about your feelings mantra, right. which worked very well for millennials, because no offense if you are a millennial, they kind of needed to be beat over the head as a generation with this is truth and this is lies. Right. Generation Z is an extremely feelings first generation. We are very primarily driven by empathy. And I don't know where that came from. It might be how we were raised in the education system with social and emotional learning or SEL classes. It might be that we're immediately connected to every other human being around the world on any social media platform. Uh, it might just be the attitudes of our parents and how they were raising us versus the parents of millennials. But I found it extremely effective when I'm talking to young people who want to help women. They find themselves calling themselves pro-abortion or pro-choice because they don't know any better. They don't know what damage the procedure does to the mom. They don't know that her life is at risk too, and they certainly can't acknowledge the loss of the child's life. Uh, I say, if you really care about women. If you really have this empathy for women, which is beautiful. I'm so glad that you have that. Mm -hmm. We should all have that for our society because we're called to help one another. Why would we put her through more trauma? If a woman was raped or a victim of incest, why would we add more trauma to her situation that makes her six times more likely, according to a recent study from Europe, to commit suicide rather than if she gave birth to that child? If a woman is struggling in an abusive relationship with her boyfriend and feels like she doesn't want to raise this child with him, why would we add more trauma, making her more depressed, more anxious, more likely for suicide, uh, and frankly, more broken in who she's looking for in her next partner right. in pushing her through this extremely dangerous, life-threatening, and devastating emotionally procedure? And when you start to put it that way and you phrase it in a completely different way, more than this is a life, it has value, we have to support that. I don't right. care how you feel about it, but you bring the feelings in. It's extremely effective. And I like mm -hmm. to remind people, we have feelings for a reason, right? God gave us, us feelings and the ability to have empathy for one another because we have souls. We're not just fact-based computer robotic machines right. where we can use those feelings to express truth and bring truth to a world that's rejecting that very concept on the issue of abortion or any other issue plaguing our society. I think that's where this generation is really fired up to rise into positions of leadership and fight back. Well, if you could say one thing to all of your Gen Z brothers and sisters about how to sort of gear themselves towards a life that will be happy and fulfilling and joyful and not despairing and not, you know, sad all the time, what, what would be the one, if you could only tell them one thing, what would that one thing be? Dare to live counterculturally. And to explain that a bit, the average young person today is sad all the time, is lonely all the time. We don't realize or think about the grand scale of what our culture is doing to the hearts and souls and minds of this next generation, often enough, in my opinion. Uh, and the CDC recently told us that in 2021, one in three teenage girls in America very seriously considered taking her own life in 2021. This is already the norm today. And if everybody is anxious and depressed and suicidal, it seems to me that there's something broken. There's some 
something right. wrong. And this anything goes, you can do whatever you want. You can sleep with whoever you want. There are no consequences to your actions. Uh, do anything, say anything, believe anything. Society really isn't leading us to the happiness and fulfillment and wholesome lifestyle that it promised. So the best way that you can seek that happiness is to run in the other direction as fast and as far as you can. And today, living a countercultural, punk rock, rebellious lifestyle doesn't look like dyeing your hair purple or getting a bunch of tattoos. It looks like falling in love, daring to really fall in love. Getting married really give your heart to someone. Get married, yeah. have a ton of kids, find faith in something bigger than yourself or the government, which is where mm -hmm. everyone wants our worship to be today. But find faith in God as that's being attacked every single day. Seek out tradition in your religious experience. Try a Latin mass. What's the worst that could happen, right? So is this just a yearning of your generation or do you think it's, do you think it's tied to a particular religious denomination? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think generally speaking, we're curious about extremely traditional cultures because it is an anything goes society, right? If you can do anything and be anything, we're seeing most people gravitate towards extreme atheism, towards really radical lifestyles, burning buildings down and calling it mostly peaceful. Yeah. And we're thinking, eh, there's something a little bit wrong with that. Maybe we do need some more structure in our lives. And so naturally, I think we seek out information about the most rigid societies throughout all of history, uh, religiously and culturally, because we're fascinated by how that would work in our very crazy, open-minded and open to anything society. Uh, but I really am seeing this in Christianity more than anything else. I have had more Protestant friends in my life seek out information about Catholicism over the last nine months than I've ever seen in the totality of my existence right. here on this earth. And I think there's just this hunger for something meaningful, something right. intimate, and something that provides a little bit more structure in our lives, that mm -hmm. has a routine, that has demands of us to be better. Uh, uh, you know, our culture says... It's like life with guardrails, right? Life with As, guardrails, but uh, that God gave to us, right? right? I mean, the I guard, think we... Guardrails that are taking you somewhere. Well, exactly. I mean, that's right. A path, the, a to path guard, They guard you. They guard you from despair and hopelessness and, and, heartbreak, and, yeah. and heartbreak and sadness, right? They're, you know, they're there for a reason, but it just, it's, it's you know, your generation is really fascinating in that regard. And so the U.S. bishops just met, and I don't believe they talked about um, Latin mass attendance. However, they were talking about this Eucharistic mm -hmm. revival. Um, do you see people in your generation who are Catholic? Um, are they are they going to go to this big Eucharistic convention? Are, do they talk about this Eucharistic revival? In I their have own seen lives? more posts about the Eucharistic revival on TikTok than anywhere else, no and kidding. people seem so excited about learning more about what the Eucharist is. I mean, I guess I just didn't even realize this until the last few months when I started doing a series specifically about Catholicism and the Church for Gen Z. But the vast majority of practicing Catholics don't even believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, which I always just assumed was something we were all taught from a very yes. early age and all, all bought into. Uh, but seeing this conversation rise to the forefront of this is why we are who we are. This is why we go to Mass. This is why we can experience not just a relationship with Jesus, but intimacy with Jesus. Right. Don't you want to experience something with that depth? Seems to be really taking hold with Generation Z, and I'm incredibly optimistic about it. Thank you so much for joining us on the Edify podcast. It was Thank a you pleasure having, having you. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.